0: The fitness minds with the chip inside, fucking link and digitized out which prior to this was higher than science could ever devise. This is a neural interface, we're
1: gonna stick it in your face, and let in your brain are interlace. There's an arms war on, and we're gonna win the race. Leave everything in a race, bring the base. Ah, Welcome to Dangerous Minds, where we delve into the minds of biohackers, grinders, and take a closer look at the tech being implanted and developed by this community. Now, this is a special edition of DMP Tonight, as we're sharing a recording of a talk at the last Body Hacking Con this past January. We're sharing this as a recap of great information that was presented, and as a reminder that the same team behind Body Hacks will be putting on another edition of the Body Hacking Con this coming spring, February 2nd through 4th, 2018, in Austin, Texas, for which tickets are on sale now. For more information go to bodyhackingcon.com. Now we look forward to seeing you there for the talks and panels or on the expo floor. Right now all of us at DMP are gearing up for the Def- for DEFCON here in a couple weeks. Now the team from Body Hacks will also be there. They have a table at the DEFCON biohacking village so be sure to stop by and say hi. But before we share these special clips with you, we want to thank our sponsor, Dangerous Things, who delivers custom gadgetry for the discerning hacker and biohacker. So check them out at DangerousThings.com. Also, we'd like to thank Axion VPN, our solution for keeping our traffic on the internet protected and private. To learn more about the services they provide, please go to axionvpn.com. Now, if you or your organization is interested in sponsoring the efforts of Dangerous Minds podcast, please feel free to reach out to us through email at info@dangerousminds.io, and we'll be glad to talk to you about it. So, uh, I'm Iborg.
2: I called me that, and then it worked out okay. Other people started doing it. That is a picture of um, a normal prosthetic eye. And beside it is a camera module from a phone. And uh, we're going to get into the technical parts of that later. But as you can see, it's not shaped like your Uncle Miltie's fake glass eye. There was a sphere. Um, Or Peter Fox. Remember Columbo? He was always like, eh, there's just one more thing. Right? Because he he had the old kind that, you know, he's a little self-conscious about it. Does anyone know who that is? That's Ralphie. Ralphie, uh, <laughs> Ralphie had a problem with the BB Red Rider gun. He shot his eye out. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Uh, when I was nine years old, I was at my grandfather's farm in Ireland, and uh, he thought he'd show me how to use a 12-gauge shotgun, which my dad, you know, when he was younger, he was okay. He would shoot pigeons for pigeon pie, which sounds pretty disgusting, but that's what he would do. So I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. Um, I was very excited to be handling this weapon. And uh, we made a short plan. I said, you know, he's like, you know, he's North Irish. like, what would you like to shoot, Robbie? And I said, I'd like to shoot that uh, pile of shit over there because there were some cows in his field that, you know. So... Not unlike the picture, he was telling me to slow down, but I wasn't doing that, you know, rambunctious nine-year-old kid that I was. You're supposed to have the stock here, but I had it way back and through. And then in the movies, just like Ralphie, obviously, like, you know, I put my eye, like, right against the gun like a sharpshooter, you know, in the the Cowboy and Indians movies, and uh, it blew back. And there was trauma to the eye. I became uh, legally blind in that eye. Um, I should have lost it then, but uh, surgeons in Belfast are pretty good at sewing you up. (laughs) There's quite a bit of violence out there over the years. Um, And it was actually in the hospital where my parents met, because my dad was a doctor at Belfast General, and my mom was a nurse, so they took good care of me. Over the years, uh, the eye got got into trouble, I had uh, about four operations. I had a cataract, and then it came loose, and they sewed it back into the retina, and then there was issues here and there. And it got to the point where it was white, like a junkyard dog white, um, like that character from Casino Royale, Le Chiffre. Which I thought, this is kind of cool, I can work with this. But then it started getting swollen, um, and the doctors said, you know, you're probably going to have to get it out. Except there's one last thing you can do, which is to get corneal transplant. Now, the dead man's cornea, turns out, was a murderer. And I didn't want to have a a murderer's... I just made that part up. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) That's not true. That would be kind of cool. I didn't want to see through his eyes, you know? But no, that didn't happen, but I always just say that. So, so I said, okay, you know, fuck it. Let's get it out. Let's go. Let's do it. But it, the minute I did that, I was excited because I used to love The Bionic Man. Now, you'd have to be a little older to, to know that show, but they're coming out with a sequel called The Six Billion Dollar Man with Mark Wahlberg. Um, so there's me. You know, I became a filmmaker over the years as well, so this, this all worked out well, a point-of-view filmmaker, eye-camera. Um, I made a documentary right around the time they were telling me, you've got to get the eye out, so I started wearing this eye patch because the eye was so swollen and white, and it just became very bizarre <laughs> and gross. So I started wearing this, and people. it was a documentary about why do Canadians give Toronto such a hard time? I imagine it... Yeah, because it sucks, that's right. There's a lot to do with the hockey team and that sort of thing. It's probably like how people in Texas give Austin a hard time, I imagine, something along those lines. But uh, yeah, the, the eye patch has always worked out nicely for me. It's sort of, you know, mysterious and rugged. And uh, I tended not to wear the, the normal prosthetic eye very much because you can't really... You're always a little off. You know, which way is that guy looking? A little bit of lazy eye syndrome going on? Oh, Yeah. I was going to show you a video first and then hand it over to Martin because thats you'll see what happened after I began trying to make an eye camera.
1: Okay.
2: There's a filmmaker planning to implant a tiny
1: camera in his artificial eye. Spence says he got the idea to fight crime after he lost his eye in an accident as a teenager. Built it in his uh, living room, in Rob's living room. You've spent three weeks in Rob's living room.
2: Uh, (laughs) We are here to see if the bionic eye that Kosa designed uh, will work. There's room inside for the components. But smoke's coming off, but your really regulator just blew up, why? We fired it all up, and then it kind of caught on fire. Man, I hope that does not happen inside of this guy's eye. Sorry, though. Have you guys heard about the story about the Canadian filmmaker? His name is Rob Spence, and he, he replaced replaces false eye with a camera. do you read this? It's real. It seems like a really controversial thing to do. You'll see blinking, glancing around, perhaps sometimes not where I'm supposed to be. I have to ask. And a lot of uh, female reporters ask me that actually. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Krakatoa! That <laughs> so is I'm amazing!
0: Now I have become eyeborn.
2: So yeah, it's quite a silly project. You know, obviously we're not taking ourselves too seriously here. But uh, Costa uh, was the first engineer involved. And uh, I'll let Martin take it from here because he uh, joined us a little bit later.
0: Okay, come on. Okay. Yeah, so I, I met Rob and Costa at a Dutch hacker camp uh, several years ago when they'd just done this stuff you'd seen. They'd built this very primitive first proof of concept a uh, prosthetic eye with a camera and a video transmitter in it. And I watched this talk and I was like, this is awesome, but I know how to make it better. So I was basically nerd sniped into uh, improving this and I'm now on version six. Um, so I'm gonna talk a little about the technical process of building this thing and the different versions that we've gone through and the steps we've taken to sort of improve it and where we're sort of going next with it. and some of the fun things we might be able to do, and maybe some ways you can apply some of what we've done to other uh, body hacks, as well. So uh, so basically, Rob runs around being this guy. I'm this guy. <laughs> <laughs> I make your eyes. <laughs> um, so mostly that involves me sitting in a lab, crouching over a microscope for a week, doing lots of fiddly, fiddly soldering. Um, But there's a whole team of people who've been involved with this. This was us in Toronto a few years ago, when Rob flew us all in to get together and build a new version. So John here on the left runs a company called RF Links. They supply cameras, transmitters, receivers for the surveillance industry, basically. So he's our guy for really, really tiny uh, video components for this. There's me, there's Rob. Costa built the first uh, prototypes and has been involved with the engineering in the early stages, and then Phil on the end is Rob's ocularist, so he makes glass eyes, that's his, uh, that's his job. So, as Rob was saying, uh, you know, often when people f- imagine a glass eye, they imagine something that's spherical, and in the past, uh, you know, that, that's how they were done, but what happens these days is if you have an eye taken out, then what they'll do is implant a sphere of a porous material into the back of the socket. And the blood vessels will grow into that, the muscle will grow around it, and the eye socket will, will operate that sphere as though it was your eyeball, right? And that gives you motion. And once that's all settled in, they'll put a titanium peg, called the motility coupling peg in there, and then the prosthetic, fits on the front of that, and that peg helps it pivot around. This means, from a point of view of putting electronics in, it's a horrible space to work in, because, uh, you know, if you want to put electronics in there, you need a hollow shell, and you need some thickness of material, so the space that you've got left is a really weird curved shape with a bit sticking in the middle of it right where you don't want it, and uh, that gives us very little space to work in. So that's the sort of... Technical challenge, and obviously you need to build that in two parts so that we can put them together to uh, to make a hollow shell. This is Rob's motility coupling peg moving around in the back of the socket there, so you can see it couples perfectly to the movement of the the other eye. So when you want a uh, an ocular prosthetic made, uh, what they'll do is they'll take uh, an impression of the back of the socket by putting alginate in the eye socket and they'll take a plaster cast of that to get the back shape and then they'll build up a wax prototype uh, by just sort of guessing at what the front shape should be to get a good fit. And so you'll get a wax uh, sort of prototype like that and you'll try fitting it and uh, put a bit on, take a bit off until you've got a good uh, shape. So that's the, the backside of a wax prototype. and then. You'll make a, uh, a mould uh, from that, and in that mould, you can cast uh, acrylic, PMMA, Um so it's just like plexiglass, uh, and that's the material. Um, and of course, normally that's a solid unit, and what they'll then do is paint it, and this is where the real uh, amazing skill of the ocularist is. is in This is all hand-painted, to look like uh, a real eye. And they use like little red thread to form the blood vessels. And uh, it's just amazing. We've got some here you can come out a look at close up. Um, so the first thing Phil had to do was figure out a good process to make a two-part shell that would have the same rough outer shape but would fit together with space in between. So we've got this in two pieces of the early ones, two parts here, so a transparent front piece and a, White back piece, and those are both uh, cast acrylic and polished, as, as, as all bushfitter guys are, to a very high finish. Camera that we uh, put in there, we get from, from John. These are, um, we think they're the same things developed as endoscope cameras. The barrel on the end here is about three millimeters across, so this is a really tiny thing. And this little hole in the middle is the actual aperture, it's like less than half a millimeter across. So this is a really, really tiny uh, camera. And uh, there's a whole load of little tiny enamel wires coming to a support board that then uh, takes the interfaces to the camera and puts out an NTSC video signal. That goes into a little uh, transmitter module. Again, we get these from John. And uh, so this takes that video signal and basically transmits it like an analog TV signal, but it's on like the 2.4 gigahertz band and then you can receive that with a little receiver like this. So uh, see on the oscilloscope here. The, this is just the, the voltage coming out of the uh, the uh, trans. Well, first the, for coming out of the camera, and this is basically like one line of video data. So how high this is is how bright you are going across one line of the display. And you've got your sort of sync pulses, and then you've got loads and loads of these, and they make up the uh, picture. So it's all totally analog. And it has to be, because there's really no way to fit digital video system in this space. Although you can fit a phone camera module in there, that then puts out a whole load of digital data, and there's nothing you can fit in that space that can process, store, or transmit that amount of digital data uh, within the power and space constraints that we've got available. So we're stuck at the moment with analog. You know, it's probably technologically possible to do a digital solution, but it would need a whole lot of very custom hardware, so it's not something practical to, to develop for a one-off project. We run this from a lithium polymer battery, uh, about 45 milliamp hours. That's uh, 12 by 15 by 4 millimeters. And that uh, will give us about two hours of battery life, because the camera and transmitter between them draw about 24 milliamps. Um, and then there's a whole lot of other stuff we need to put in there to do power management. Because the very first version that you saw in the video Rob just showed, uh, you had pretty much just camera, battery, transmitter. And uh, so you would charge the battery up, you would put the stuff in there, you put the back on. To seal the back in place, you use wax. Um, and uh, then the camera would run for about an hour, and then you have to take the whole thing apart and start again, right? So one of the first challenges for me is how can we build one that's rechargeable, reusable, while still being a sealed, uh, safe unit? So I can't really make a circuit board. It's really hard to fit any sort of circuit board into this space, Uh, so I just start soldering components together. So this is... uh, this is power management system that uh, lets you turn the thing on and off uh, by waving a magnet past it. So there's a little glass reed switch in here. There's a little, uh, controller IC and uh, some transistors to switch the power supply. On the right, we've got the battery charger system. Uh, so there's a little uh, single cell lithium polymer charger IC and a little yellow LED that lights up when you're charging it. And so... Basically, we're trying to fit all of these components into that shell. And first thing we put in is these two contacts. So these are uh, sort of ho- hollow on one side, uh, gold contacts, um, which we use for charging the eye. Uh, and so on the back side, those open out into the little indent where the motility pin fits. So. They're not gonna irritate the, uh, the skin because they're not making contact with it when it's worn, but when you take it out, they give you a point where you can make some electrical contacts uh, that uh, let us charge it up. Um, so this is, I think, version three build, and it's just a case of very slowly building up all of these components. Uh, in this, this stage, we did it on the back half of the shell, and you put the... Uh, front cover on. This is a sort of temporary uh, seal done at this stage. You seal it up with uh, wax on top of the the initial glue seal. Um, And then there's a whole back and forth process uh, of putting this in, looking at the signal out of it, and taking it out and moving the camera slightly. Because there's no good way to get the camera lined up first time Um, So we like draw a crosshair on the wall, we just put it in Rob's face, get him to stare at the crosshair, um, go, right, we need about three degrees that way, take the whole thing apart, move the camera, put it back together. As you can imagine, stuff gets broken all the time, so keep fixing this thing up. Um, But eventually you get it together, and this is one that's been cleaned up and sealed and uh, ready to use. Uh, And that's that's that one being being worn. So this was uh, version three uh, a few years ago. It was the first uh, really usable uh, eyes that we got uh, working, and Rob shot a whole documentary on this. Um, we got a deal to do uh, documentaries, a tie-in to promotion for a video game called Deus Ex: Human Revolution from a few years ago. If you remember that, uh, which is all about sort of cyborg futures, uh, Rob went round interviewing uh, people with different prosthetics and implants and so on all around the world, and with footage shot on on this eye. Um, there's more of those in there. So uh, this is actually, oh, I'll come back. One of the, uh, the first one I, of these I built, um, I was over in the UK, Rob was in Toronto, We'd met at this thing in Holland, but he just sent me some parts. I built one, put it together, didn't have any way to line it up or anything, because we weren't in the same place, and just sent it over to him. So the first sight I actually got of uh, one of these things actually running, and what what the picture looks like, was a a week later when he sent me back uh, this video. And uh, so you can see you get the blinking you get the, the way the eye darts around, and this is so weird to look at for the first time, um, because it's, a, it's an actual sort of point of view, uh, literal video, but, um, and what's, what's interesting to me is, although obviously this is exactly what you do see through your eye, uh, it looks weird, right? Because uh, things like, you never actually see the, the view pan, right, because what happens is your eye Eyelid closes, your eye moves over, and it reopens somewhere else. And you don't think of it like that when you're seeing with your own eye, but once you see a camera view of it, uh, you start to notice things like that. Um, now you can see Rob's having to hold this little wire antenna right up to his cheek here, um, and uh, that's because we get really, really poor. we got really, really poor video signal out of this. This is like version two. I was the first one that I built. You remember Antenna Gate from a few years ago, the iPhone 4, where if you hold it in the wrong way, your signal goes. So we basically have that problem on steroids, um, because uh, we're taking a transmitter uh, with a wire antenna. Um, so like uh, this thing over here, which okay, maybe that wire antenna is, antenna is tuned to be a nice fit at. Uh, Uh, that frequency in open air and as soon as you pack it into a small space with a lot of electronics and then put a hot, sweaty human body around it, it's completely different, right? So how to design and tune a good antenna for this uh, has been one of the real problems. Um, And uh, there's various things you can do here. You can actually try and simulate this. There's uh, antenna simulation software. And uh, we had a guy, uh, Christopher, Fried, worked on this as part of his, it was like his master's project, wasn't it? Yep. Um, he decided to use this as like a case study for his project. You know, so we actually had a like, whole 3D model of, uh, of a head, and uh, the eye in there, and the antenna, and he was trying to sort of look at how the frequency response of that antenna shifted as you put it in this space. And that you know, gave us some clues as to what sort of uh, effects we might get, but, doesn't really, uh, uh, isn't accurate enough to help you actually build a working one. Um, so uh, what we end up doing is uh, getting a hold of a vector network analyzer, um, which is what you uh, use to analyze RF systems and antennas. Um, here's an antenna that we built for version five, which is just a little coil connected to the uh, transmitter. This is our latest transmitter module here is super, super tiny. Um, uh, But you've still got the problem, okay, you're trying to tune this antenna, but what you really want to do is tune it in Rob's face, and you need to have a wire connecting to the machine to analyze it. So um, what we end up doing is... uh, I stick the thing in my fist like this, with a wire coming out of the back, I pretend to be Rob's face, and we (laughs) look at (laughs) a... Hello. we look at what frequency response we get, and then open it up and bend this a bit, or cut a little bit off, or whatever, until we get a nice uh, response at the frequency we want, and then uh, close it up. And that's, you know, finally, let's get a really good signal that actually goes like across a room or even into the next room. Um, the other thing we've been trying to improve is the fit and the shape of the uh, the prosthetic. Um, so this on the left is uh, one of Rob's normal prosthetic eyes. Um, so it's a solid unit. Uh, this is uh, the 3.0 eye, uh, and you can see it's quite a different shape and it's a bit more sort of bulged out to create space for the components. And uh, so we've been trying to uh, get a more optimized shape that gives a better fit, so the eyelid and so on fits, um, fits more nicely. And, uh, so that led us to this uh, version 4i with a uh, more sort of shaped shell, and we've actually got a, an iris um, on there for the first time uh, in red. And it was also uh, the first time we uh, went and did uh, PCBs for the components, so still can't get a single PCB in there nicely, but I did a whole bunch of little ones that we joined together to make up the, uh, the electronics package for that unit. Uh, and so that's uh, version four being worn. Still not a perfect fit, but it's starting to look a little bit more like an eye. And uh, then we wanted to go further than that and see if we could make one that actually matched his real eye. Um, so this was uh, the next that Phil made, and he did his painting magic on it. So you can see next to Rob's uh, working eye, you know, it, it's been painted to match. And we also got that, uh, that shape laser scanned by a company who helped us out over in uh, Toronto and um, used that to build up a 3D model of the shape and uh, so we could plan out the, uh, the way the electronics fit rather than me just trying to shove stuff in and see what fits. And so that led to this design for a sort of curved slightly flexible circuit board that we fabricated on like a 0.1 millimeter thick substrate that acts as the carrier for all the power management stuff and just reduces the number of individual solder joints that are there to, to fail, um, which makes it a little bit more reliable to put together. Um, so that's doing the, the board design for that. And you can see the, uh, that board sitting in that uh, version 5i under construction uh, and that's the, that's the completed eye, and you can just see the camera aperture looking out in the pupil. Uh, Fortunately, this, can we get sound from the laptop? So this was, uh, Ooh, lost, yeah, it's a bit of a call. tight
2: fit. I'm having a little trouble. Pulling the lower lid
0: over
2: it. You remember, Martin, the old one was, was sort of a tight fit as well.
0: Well, three was a really tight fit. It may be that we've got too much material in the join between the two sides of the shell here. Yeah. Wow. It's not, that's not...
2: That's not good, that's is headless. it? <laughs> that's not good. No. Hey! Can you tell that I'm wearing It's totally, hey, wow, I'm just normal. That's fine, eh?
0: We may have to basically squeeze the electronics in a bit further. Do you think we'll mess up the components if we open it up, take the wax out? I mean, my thinking is just to basically grind off thickness there. We'll sterilize it again. Yeah, so... Eventually, we, you know, by taking material off that shell in various places and getting it all nicely resealed, um, we were able to get that one to fit a bit better. Uh, it still wasn't perfect. Um, unfortunately, that leaves a situation where, you know, although we had this laser scan and everything, it no longer reflects what is the you know, finished handmade shape of the, the eye. Uh, but what that eye did us was uh, really good uh, picture quality for the first time, you know within the realms of what you can do with a, you know, half millimeter camera in the, in the back of a piece of acrylic. Um, this is actually a portrait uh, that we took of uh, David Vintner, who's uh, at the conference. He's been interviewing some of you. I don't know if he's in the room. Um, so he was shooting uh, photos of Rob. Rob's uh, well, was Rob shooting photos of him or was I shooting photos of him or what? Because uh, there's an interesting copyright question here. Um, so, the situation is, Rob is standing there with the eye camera and looking at David. I'm on the computer with a feed coming from the camera and at some point I get the shot frame nicely by telling Rob to look a bit left, a bit right, and I press the button. Who owns the copyright on this photo? Is Rob the photographer or is he the camera? Um, uh, but we've also been doing things like, uh, so you can see the The color reproduction here is not quite fantastic. Um, So we've done things like try and uh, get shots of this, uh, looking at a color calibration card, um, where we then capture the uh, the video signal from this on a software-defined radio platform. Uh, And we're trying to build a software-based video receiver for it, uh, where we can do some optimization on the the picture and uh, get the color Processing so that it produces an output that matches uh, reality as closely as possible. Um, the other thing we've done is just... Uh, so the realistic one was fun, um, but actually people get, don't get as excited about that as they do about the very first thing that Rob and Custer did, which is before they even had a camera, they just stuck a red LED in a shell, and people went nuts. And like, you're on like three talk shows just with a red glowing LED. So we thought, okay, the red LED is going to back. And uh, so we've been going more for the sort of uh, Terminator look, and uh, some of you will have seen Rob wearing this uh, at the party last night. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's the uh, latest one that we've built, and we've recently just rebuilt it. and. Uh, uh, made some changes to improve the signal, and uh, it's now sort of painted silver around that uh, uh, central iris as well. Another uh, cool thing, uh, someone gave uh, our local Hackspace a uh, laser scanner for free because it wasn't working. Fixed one component in the power supply, and it's working. So now we have a laser, our own laser scanner. Uh, so that's that running, um, which is great because what we can now do very easily is take a uh, shape that we've optimized by hand and then scan that and uh, g- get, the, get a good 3D model of that. And so uh, this is like the sort of scans we get out of that. You have to paint this thing um, in order to scan it because uh, the shiny reflective surface doesn't come up nicely on the scan. So we actually spray this with Plasti Dip, that stuff people use on cars, um, and it makes a sort of thin rubberish paint layer that you can just peel off afterwards, so that's really handy. Um, and so we've now got a really nice uh, parametrically de- sort of spline-defined curved model. Uh, and we also recently got a five-axis CNC mill. So uh, we're heading now for a sort of more digital uh, way of manufacturing these things um, where we uh, you know, take a 3D scan of the shape we want, design all the electronics to fit in, uh, and we actually directly machine the molds uh, for the cast acrylic piece, uh, the two cast acrylic pieces are gonna form the shell. So we can now get a bit more adventurous of trying to cram the electronics in because we can know exactly what shape we're gonna fit them in and put it all together in CAD. Um, other things we've been doing lately is just, uh, so you can see this, this one, which is the realistic eye about to be resealed up last week, um, is uh, we've now filled this up with uh, silicone. Um, because another set of problems we've had have been about uh, moisture. You know, even if the thing is perfectly sealed, uh, there's some moisture in there when it when you seal it, and uh, over time that has caused corrosion on components and so on. Um, we've not been at the point before where we dared pop these things in uh, silicone or anything because it makes it harder to then repair them if anything goes wrong. But we've finally taken the plunge. Uh, so this. The process now is this is filled up with silicone. You force the back down so the uh, excess comes out so you've got it, it full there. And then once that's set, you, you perfect the seal around, uh, around there. And we're actually, we're doing a uh, seal now where we basically bond the two parts of acrylic completely together, first with the solvent weld and then building up new acrylic material. so the whole thing ends up polished as a completely uh, continuous uh, bit of material. With the electronics inside, so I'm going to hand back to Rob, who's going to talk a little bit more about uh, some other aspects of this.
2: Yeah, um, I'll just cycle quickly through the stuff, and we'll jump to the discussion. But um, some points for discussion: Martin was was referring to it before, but the the look is crazy. There's blinking, there's glancing, um, and I find it similar to. Uh, to um... stream-of-consciousness writing it's not It's sort of fun to read for a bit but most books aren't written that way and there's a reason because <laughs> our thoughts are like you know repetitive and strange things that we we often go like a broken record a little bit in our mind um, and the way that you look at things is, is bizarre so as a filmmaker i can only really cut to it occasionally as as an effect um, Mostly, I did this eye because I have like 3,000 comic books in my closet, and I just want to tell one quick story. When we were shooting that dumb Bionic Man stuff, a uh, cyclist, instead of just going around us, we were like a little bit off the sidewalk on the street. When I was walking around with my red eye, and uh, you know, he's like angry cyclist guy. So he went through. He's like, I'm not getting out of where I'm supposed to be, and he hit my cameraman like hard. And he was on the ground, and then he started screaming at my cameraman and things started getting a little bit shirty, right? So, you know, I'm from a small town. I'm like, you know, I'm not going to take that from this guy. It's his fault. I say like, hey, man, like, you know, what the F? Like, just calm down. You hit him. But I had forgotten I had a red glowing eye. <laughs> so this guy was like whipped around, ready to start some, something up. And he was like, Oh my god like he didn't know <laughs> which was like I realized that was my fantasy like when I was younger you know it's like if I'll show you bastards like when I get superpowers you know and then so I had that you know actual moment it was amazing um, we can talk about this in the discussion but my main point with this is that the the normal prosthetic eye with with the sea coral and the, that's pretty cyborgy but it's when you put a $5 or $0.50 cent LED light in your eye that, oh, he's a cyborg. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a cyborg anthropologist whose name is Amber Case, who's really interesting. She says we're all cyborgs now, and, and I really believe that just a T-shirt was the beginning, and, and sneakers, then glasses, then, uh, you know, pin in your hip, uh, and then cell phones and, and smartphones, as everybody at this conference knows, are coming For us into the body. Also, just look how cool all those three red LED lights are. It's the whole point. So, some people say, but yeah, but Rob, who's going to cut into their body to augment themselves? (laughs) That's not going to happen. I'm just like, well, I don't know. I think maybe it will because Boob Borg, Pamela Anderson, certainly made the case, you know, that it's, and it's, pretty affordable, um, safe, and uh, the perception is it improves your life, it augments you. Also, laser eye surgery. If you asked your great-grandmother, or you went back in time and told her, like, hey, you know, instead of glasses, what's going to happen in the future? We're going to shoot hot beams of light into your eye and cut, cut it, and then you won't need glasses, she'd think you were nuts. There, there's me and George Orwell. We look very similar, so there, there's this is I think an area we can have some discussion on. My theory. Oh, and the glass hole movement. Remember that when Google Glasses came out, and they said they're glass holes. They actually tried to get me to be a spokesborg for them, and I thought, I don't know if I'm the right guy for the that movement. But in general, when you get an eye camera, there's two reactions. That's so cool, and then they go, but that's so creepy. And it feels like you're, you're breaking some kind of contract that humans have. When you, when you make eye contact with somebody, the, the person is here. This is me. You don't look at my elbow and go, hey, Rob. Or you don't look at your partner that you're in love with at their toes. Well, some of you probably do, but you know. But I mean, it's, this is us. This is our souls. So to put a video camera in there feels like a little bit of a contract breaker. It's, it, it upsets people. And I get that. And of course, uh, Snapchat's going to try the same thing, but instead of a red light, it's interesting now, they have little sparkly lights, which is presumably less evil. Um, what's this? Okay, well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, open it up to uh, questions. Oh, it, Yeah. Oh, that's right. Let's just turn on the eye. I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> uh, right, so this is the point where it all goes wrong because uh, that's what happens in a demo. Um, but uh, let's see what we can do. Uh,
2: so I just need to stack this antenna up my ass. Just, 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 just... Oh, right. that's... <laughs> hold on to
0: that for a moment while I yeah. check what's plugged into what. Um, and...
2: He, of course, doesn't use normal software like the rest of us. It's like...
0: That one. Uh, what's going on there? Uh, it's not plugged into my laptop. Is what's going on there. Uh, So what we have here is a 2.4 gigahertz uh, video receiver. So what's coming out here is just composite NTSC output right now with uh, nothing but noise. Uh, That's just coming into a little USB capture widget. And so we're going to get Rob to put one of the eyes in. Which eye? Which eye? Let's go with five. Let's go with five. So uh, last night, some of you will have seen version six, which is the one yeah. with the red glowing LED. Uh, this is the one that uh, is sort of more realistic looking. It's not quite such a good fit. Yeah. But the
2: bartender really liked my glowing red good
0: video signal.
2: She's like, what is going on? So Rob's just <laughs>
0: cleaning this with an alcohol wipe, um, which is what I yeah. always do before These putting... These clean
2: and clear wipes, I can only just say, wow, they're really refreshing and nice. <laughs> Great product. So this eye is actually still a little bit too big. Now, I don't know if any of you know who Marty Feldman is, but I look a little bit like him with the eye in. Is it on?
0: So this is the magnet, and that should switch the camera on. And then you hold that somewhere near your face. Right. Uh, there is Martin, let's have signal.
2: meaningful eye contact. We've gone through a lot together. <laughs> He's not emotional. It's a bit dim. Yeah. But uh, so um. Yeah.
0: Can you here. guys? I can't. Can you guys see much? Yeah. yeah okay.
2: Yeah. So there you go. It's actually a pretty good macro. Uh, it's a little dark in here, but. See? Deep action facial wipes. <laughs> I should really, I'm not sure they would want me as a spokesperson for, I'm not the, I don't think it's the right, you know, branding, possibly. But Yeah, so this, you know, the other thing about the ethics of this stuff, somebody wrote a cyborg manifesto and they said, if you're, because I have the right to have an eye camera, but you also have the right for me not to film you. So that's like this dividing line. And um, there's a guy called Steve Mann who wrote a bit of a manifesto, and he said, if you're going to wear an eye camera or a camera on your face, then you should have a light on so people know you're filming. So that's not why we made the LED light eye. We made it because it's cool. <laughs> but I guess, you know, as a, uh, accidentally, we became ethical. But um, yeah. Does anyone have any questions?
1: Cool.
2: Let's find out.
0: Let me, let me just tweak the tuning on this. I might be able to get a little bit... Yeah, wait, we're, we're tunable. A little bit better.
2: Okay, wait. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: yeah. It varies. It, it sometimes depends sometimes, on like how yeah, much Wi-Fi depends. is kicking around on which bands and so on. Yeah. We try and uh, tune these things just to the very edge of that uh, band so that uh, we avoid most of that uh, trouble. Yeah,
2: it's always a little tricky. I mean, let me go down here and see if I can.
0: In practice, okay. uh, if you're going to use this practically, what you want to do is basically wear the receiver. You can have the antenna concealed up on the shoulder. And uh, then it going to something in your pocket that's uh, recording or feeding out to the internet or whatever.
2: Yeah, that's pretty
0: good. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the filmmaker. I'm like trying to get the light.
0: There, there's some sort of limited automatic gain uh, adjustment in built into the camera, um, but it's it's pretty basic. Um, and uh, so this is something else we'd we'd like to improve by putting a different. Uh, Chip in there, which we can then have some more control over. Um, I mean, I said uh, I was going to talk a little bit about what we're going to do in the next versions. So we're we're looking now at uh, wireless charging because uh, I'd like to get rid of those two uh, little, although they you know gold contacts and they're sort of out the way. I'd still rather have a completely sealed uh, unit, and that gets <coughs> that gets interesting as well because. You've then got the basis of a completely sealed electronic payload package that you could put in whatever enclosures to go in other spaces potentially. Um, and uh, we're also uh, wanting to get a bit more control of the camera and the LEDs and such in there. So the next one is probably gonna have a Bluetooth LE uh, cable micro- microcontroller in there. So we'll do like a, a phone app where you can, uh, control the, uh, like maybe some LEDs on the camera and turning it on and off and tweaking the sort of uh, picture settings and um, see how much battery you've got left, all that sort of thing. Uh, And then probably integrate that with uh, a little uh, uh, system that's hooked up to the receiver that's putting the signal out over Wi-Fi as a digital digital stream. Yeah, that's right. Do you want to see the uh, glowing one? Yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sure. So have you um, tried to put the patch over your other eye and just sort of walk around using your camera eye and, and like holding the screen in front of you and just kind of depending on the, your own... Yeah. You know, I had a good idea for that. I never tried it, though. I was going to put the patch over my good eye and then get audio okay. Twitter feed and send it through the internet, or just get some kind of, actually Livestream has a function where the comments can come in on the live stream. So like have the internet tell me, you know, which way to turn, which I don't know if I really trust the internet for that. It's well, maybe not my
0: Twitch plays iBorg.
2: Idea. Yeah. Be like, yeah, you're fine for traffic iBorg. I was like, okay, I guess so, man. Like, I don't know. But it might not be a great idea. You'll try that one. Yeah. in which you can combine the uh, technology of like the artist's tune, a bionic eye, with the camera that you have here, so your
0: brain can compute the images yeah. as well as record? Well, yeah, do you want to? So in terms of like uh, artificially adding a camera that connects to the brain as a replacement for an eye, um, most of the work that's been done in that area uh, depends on still having a retina, um, because uh, what, what they will do is uh, attach a sort of array of electrodes to the retina, um, and uh, then even if, even if some of the cells on the retina are not functioning correctly, you can oops, oops, still feed uh, a, a signal in there that then does go down the optic nerve and the brain can learn to process that. Um, obviously Rob doesn't have a retina anymore because the whole eyeball has been removed. Um, I think there is stuff going on where they're starting to try and go directly into the optic nerve now. Um, but I'm not very familiar with that. Uh, I think Rob, you heard something about that recently? Um, there's, a,
2: there's a woman doing research. Her name is Sheila Niren, Nirenberg. And she was able to... Interpret and recreate the data stream that the retina sends to the brain, because you see uh, quite vividly when you're dreaming. You don't really need your eyes and your retina to see. <laughs> it's a very punctuated, little. So I have to tune it, I guess. Yeah. So um, if you can capture the language that the retina speaks to the brain, which she has begun to do, so she measured. Um, you know, small electrical signals and showed 100 people a picture of a baby's face. Uh, she was then able to try to reverse those. Oh, was it glowing red? Good. I always forget, yeah. like I forgot that last night again at the bar. I was chatting with somebody like, so I was like why are they looking at me like that? For I'm
0: some sorry? reason, the feed from this transmitter doesn't vertically sync nicely on uh, this uh, USB yeah. capture interface. It actually it comes out fine if you put it into an actual old school analog screen. But uh, Yeah it works well on the glitches hotel around uh, like this. TV,
2: but what are you gonna do? Yeah. So um, she was able to, to reverse that and bring in a hundred new people that had never seen the picture and she said what well, close your eyes and tell me what you see. And they said, I see a baby's face. So that's really interesting because if it what does that mean? It means that like at some point in the future you might um, choose to use devices to send superior visual information, the language of the retina having been deciphered directly to your brain. But then, like, who's going to supply that? Like, Google? Then what are they going to do with your visual feed, you know? It, gets, it starts getting weird. And I, I have a feeling that... that as time goes by, we'll we will all have video feeds, a little bit like Russian dash cams. Feels insane, like, no, there's no way we'll all have video feeds. But there was a similar time where, where people were very upset by the printing press. You know, people were like, my God, I, I say something in Parliament and now it's written everywhere, you know. Or you say, you know, never talk too much when you're drunk to a writer, you know, because they'll, you know, you'll end up in their book or something, and, and so this is, this is like a, a, a strange time for, um, like we all have close video cameras on us now. Yep. Energy harvesting. Uh,
0: it's, it's nice in theory, um, but there's not a lot to actually capture there in terms of the energy that you need. Um, you've got body heat, But in order to uh, capture energy from body heat, you need a temperature differential. You need a part that's cold and a part that's hot. And anything that you put on the body or put on the skin that that does that effectively feels cold to wear, because that that it has to, to work. Um, And it's not... I just don't think there's enough really there to get. Um, So... uh, for for lower power payload, if you had something different that you want to put in there, it was maybe just doing some sensing and the odd uh, small data transmission, then it could be practical. But for something that's actually doing a video feed, I don't think it's going to be viable in that, that space.
1: Yep. I have some questions about your RF and kind of design testing
0: optimization. Yeah, now, sure. Were those tests done in RF anticoag chambers? No, 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 no. Just, just, just in the lab. Um, I mean, all we were doing there was trying to uh, you know, start with a, a guess at an antenna. We just made like a long coil of wire um, and uh, trim it until we got a good 50-ohm match at the frequency that the transmitter was going to be putting out. Um, that, that's all we were really doing there. Um, in, in terms of an anechoic chamber, you know, you'd use that for... Uh, other sorts of testing, but it wasn't really relevant to, to this. We're not uh, trying to put it through EMC or anything like that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah.
2: Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Hi there.
0: I mean, it, 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 it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky problem to design for because, as I said, like uh, we had a guy try and do simulations. I can't think it was HFSS or whatever he was using for that. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's such a fiddly situation and we don't even have that much precision about where things are going to end up in the package because it's all hand built every time um, that I think it's just a very hard thing to simulate accurately. Um, and uh, it's just more practical to sort of just do something by trial and error uh, to, to, to tune by hand. Um, But uh, now that we are moving to a more sort of CAD and CNC based way to build this thing, um, that does potentially get more practical. Um, What I'd quite like to see is a effectively printed antenna more or less on the surface of the front of the shell, Um, you know, maybe fabricated on a flex PCB, Um, uh, so that, you know, if you want an interesting antenna design challenge, that could be a fun thing to do, and maybe that needs to have a little space behind it and a ground plane so that it's consistent, independent of what else is packed into that shape. But uh, if that's something you'd be interested in uh, helping us with, then we can have a chat. Yeah? So it's, uh, it's NTSC. Uh, so it's, uh, what, uh, 500 and something lines? Um, and uh, 60 60, uh, frames per second essentially in two interlaced uh, fields. It's just old school analog TV, uh, North American version. Mm -hmm. So to do much better than that, um, you'd need to go to a digital solution. And as I said, the problem with the digital solution is yeah, you can get the camera in there, you can power the camera, that's fine, but now you've got a whole load of digital data and no way to get that either out of that space or store it because you've got to put something in there to encode that data and just the uh, you know, space and power requirements just for a CPU that's capable of doing that aren't really practical uh, in this space. So,
2: It looks better with more natural light too. It actually works well.
0: Um, yeah. So, I mean, uh, the other thing is, if you actually take one of these cameras and uh, just run it outside of the acrylic shell, you get a much sharper image. Um, and so one of the problems here is because we have got a handmade curved acrylic shell in front of here, even with a very, very fine polish on both sides, uh, it's, not a, it's not a good optical window um, so another thing we're looking at is whether we can uh, build in a very flat section there, maybe even take a piece of cast acrylic sheet to form the front part there and then bond it in and blend it to the rest of the, uh, the, the shape. And that would give us an improvement in the, uh, uh, the sharpness, um, but not, not directly the resolution. Yep. I
2: Um, yeah, a few ideas. I mean, the, the most sort of apropos thing to do is point of view documentaries about cyborgs. <laughs> you film somebody's bionic arm with your bionic eye is always, you know, fun. Um, it's uh, part of the challenge has been getting it to work really reliably, so that it's not fiddly, and I, th- I think we're we're there now. But um, I, I think there's something to do with um, eye contact that's interesting if you don't tell people initially um, that you, with a more realistic eye but yeah I'm not sure as
1: this is what you're
2: yeah 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 Well, I had an idea to ask people what um, their stream of consciousness was to try to articulate it and film it with the eye, which would be kind of like a weird combination of uh, naturalistic experimental weirdness, I guess, yeah.
1: We have we have time for just one more question.
2: Okay.
1: Just one more, thank you. Yeah.
2: Has Dateline uh, has contacted you about uh, the
0: catch a predator?
2: <laughs> 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 you know, back in the day, uh, a guy from uh, I think Reuters was asking me if I wanted to go to like Iraq. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> nope. But yeah. So um, yeah, that's great. It, you know, the, the one final thing I'd say is it, it's oddly that the video feed, even though it's like a bit rough, If you ever look at any movies about video in the future, like even Princess Leia, God rest her soul, she was like, there's like sort of RF dropouts. That just became a thing I think because of Star Wars that for some reason in the future, all they have is RF dropout video. (laughs) So that was a lucky thing. Yeah, and that's it. And I just wanted to say thanks to Martin while I was here because he's helped me out a lot. And to John Polanski, who made the, uh, the wireless cameras and receivers, they're beautiful, tiny little devices that, that uh, help me you so know, th- have a nice time.
0: I think we'll take this kit outside, we'll maybe put it on a table or something, so if anyone wants to come have a close look at the eyes and so on, you can do that. Um, and, uh, but we need to leave at about three or something to go to the airport to catch our flight, so we won't be around all day. So if you want to have a chat with us, do it soon.
1: Thank you. And a special thanks to the team at Body Hacks for sharing this recording with us. And remember, if you're able to make it out to Austin, Texas for Body Hacking Con, it'll be worth the trip. For the panels and the topics covered are just a small portion of the action. With the activities and networking available with the other attendees is the true payoff. So our loyal listeners, if you'd like to know more about this journey we take weekly, Check out the DMP homepage, dangerousminds.io, or go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash dangerous minds podcast. Please keep in mind events like these are listed on our DMP Google Calendar. And if you have an event that you would like to add to it, please email us more information about it at infodangerousminds.io. At now, all of us would like to. Thank you for joining us as we for, further explore the tech and the people behind it within this vastly growing community of biohacking, grinding, and implantable technology today. If you like the programming we share and the work we are doing in the community, please support us by going to our Patreon page and becoming a supporter at www.patreon.com forward slash Minds. And please feel free to reach out to us with questions or comments, and perhaps we might one day talk to you about the work and our projects you're exploring and developing. Until next week. Seek the spark. The man, man and machine, we like a tapestry, man, or the team machine. Man and machine, human mind can't handle
0: the dream. Scientific
1: progression is steamrolling, there's no preventing it going ahead. Now we're intrinsically linked with technology, biology, as we know it is dead.